conversations I've been waiting to have them Trying to change the way I speak so that they don't feel so challenged Can you see the inconsistency, come feel the imbalance I can tell you either way, oh that shit's a distraction I can tell you either way Hello and welcome to the live recording of Her Hustle's third event Where we'll be delving into what it takes to start and run your own business Tonight, we are joined by three incredibly inspiring women here to discuss what it takes to found businesses which seek to improve women's well-being through technology. Billy Quinlan is the co-founder of Furley, the world's first digital sexual well-being studio. In addition to helping women overcome traumas and experiences which have negatively impacted their sex life and sexual health, Furley has been listed as one of the best companies to work at in 2019, in case anyone's looking for a job. Next, we're joined by Amy Thompson, who is the ultimate hustler in the startup world, having recently founded the brilliant women's health app and tech service, Moody Month. The app helps women harness the power of their moods and cycles by getting to know their bodies, hormones, and environments better. Amy is also the co-founder of Future Girl Corps and previously founded and scaled her own communications agency. Our final speaker is Farah Kabir, co-founder of Hanks, the new and much-needed brand of sexual health products made by women for women. By challenging the overwhelming masculine stereotype within the sexual health industry, Hanks is smashing taboos while empowering women to own their sexuality. Um, so first of all, being a founder sounds like such a broad and all-encompassing role. Can you each briefly outline a typical week or day in your working lives? I don't think there's such a thing as a typical <laughs> week or a day in the life of an early-stage startup founder. Um, but it is super, super broad. So maybe if I do this week... as the <laughs> This week is a perfect way to start. This week is a starting. Uh, so this week is a really exciting week, actually. We've just got um, a really cool feature coming out about us, which involved a photo shoot. So Anna and I got to dress up and get our hair and makeup and stuff done, which is the first time we've ever had that done. That was the glamorous side of it. Um, the not-so-glamorous was a telling off by my accountant for, like, not filing some documents. Um, and then a meeting with some lawyers about certain things regarding the business, which I was going to just say, and then I realised I probably can't. Um, <laughs> give away all our trade secrets. Um, and a lot of uh, sprint planning. So we're a tech company, we run in sprints, so a lot of planning and objective setting and goal setting. So, yeah, this was kind of a, a varied week for me. I was going to say, very, very varied. Yeah. Um, I was also going to second on the fact that there's never the same week. Um, but I would say one of the things that's quite interesting about early stage startups is the ability for that to be either a barrier or a kind of like goal. So if you embrace and you know enjoy the fact that it's super agile, then each week is almost like a nice surprise <laughs> um, of new exciting challenges. Um, and being kind of just, I think, in the mindset that you won't always know what the problems are going to be, but there are going to be problems at every stage and trusting your own instincts to be able to solve the problems. And the thing that I think I've learned certainly in the last kind of couple of years is is you really do have the power to be able to solve most problems. Um, but surrounding yourself with people that help you do that is probably the best way to get through the week. <laughs> um, and knowing the kind of advice to take and knowing the kind of people that are going to help you solve the problems most effectively. 
that's so funny. Just today in our Her Hustle WhatsApp group, we had, I think it's Elspeth said, um, I've just realised just work is about problem solving. Mm. Everything to do with work is problem solving as we had like 10 million things at the last yeah. minute. Like, <gasps> so yes, problem solving with a great team. But yes. women are really good at it. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, and that's not just gendered, but like genuinely it's an incredible yeah. superpower and it's, um, you know, not just multitasking, but actually seeing things from the perspective of solving problems is really good. I love that. Farah, what about you? Yeah, I would agree. No two days are the same. So if we were to describe our week, uh, we spent a day, a full day with our chairperson on hangovers. We were on supermarket sweep yesterday. Um, it was a supermarket sweep. Oh, it was a sh- supermarket sweep, the show. So no, no two days really are the same. TV stars amongst us. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, a lot of legal stuff, investment raising, speaking to shareholders, trying to develop products, making sure boots are just lots of... No two days are the same, lots of different things. So, again, it's just completely buried. I think there is a tendency, um, especially in the media, to kind of glamorise the life of founder. Um, I think it's generally because we hear a lot about founders, uh, the founders who are doing very well, running huge companies, big CEOs, making a ton of money. Um, but what's less visible is what it actually takes to get to that point. Um, can be quite a lonely experience, um, as many of us will know. Um, why have each of you chosen to start your own company as opposed to work for someone else? Billy and Farah, I know you worked in more corporate jobs before, so why become a founder? I don't like taking orders from men, unless it's in the bedroom and I consent. <laughs> I second that. Um, no, I, uh, I don't... It wasn't a choice to start a company. It was a series of doors that led to the obvious next step being the one of starting a company. And I think sometimes we there's kind of two ways of approaching your career path. And I had this conversation with someone quite young the other day. There's either one way where you're so focused on achieving the specific path that you want to carve out for yourself. And that might be, I want to start a company. But then you put a huge amount of pressure on the end goal. And you might start it for the wrong motivations and the wrong reasons. And you might feel really disappointed if you've not achieved that thing. And then the other way is being open to exploration. And then seeing what opportunities present themselves. And whether something lands in your lap that makes total sense. And that you're um, committed to and resonate with. And feel that you can add value to the world. And I think even if you're just adding value to a few people, that can be a reason enough to start a company. You just start a smaller company. If you feel like you can add value to a huge amount of people, then start a company. Mm-hmm. But then be prepared for the route that it's going to take to have that impact on, those, on that huge amount of people. Um, and so for me, it was leaving the corporate with absolutely no plan, except for the fact that I knew I needed to get out and try something different. Um, I followed my poop, actually. I... <laughs> had really bad IBS and that led me <laughs> interesting that led me to um, becoming yeah, yeah follow your poop yeah I like that well it's gut literally instinct. like your gut right? it's, it's a thing <laughs> that's what that is yeah so uh, yeah that led me to becoming a, a, a health I see someone writing that down did you literally just write down follow your poop <laughs> I did I actually did that is a, like <laughs> Take your, your piece Instagram of advice bio. for the day. Yeah, you, you got it. Instagram bio. You know, I'm going to stop there. That's my piece of advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. a really good answer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> mic drop. Um, I, I totally agree. I think that um, 
I always describe it as sliding doors moments. Like your career is a series of different moments that will pivot at different places because of the people you come in contact with. So I think for people that want to start a business, having an idea and having a kind of vision to be able to do something in the future is great. But like Billy said, it's kind of a misconception that by having an idea, you're going to have the right network around you to be able to realize it. Because in any career, no matter whether or not it's, you know, going into a kind of corporate or, or starting your own thing, you do need network um, because ultimately I think there's a misconception, certainly in a kind of modern era of how work can be so dynamic mm-hmm. that, okay, it's my vision, my plan, my route to success, but no one's route to success isn't without so many other people around you. And my own personal journey was so random. You know, I talked about this kind of, there were so many chance encounters and so many random moments where your mind is more open if you have a vision. I mean, that's kind of classic visualization chat, but, you know, it is more open to an idea of seeing a path, but equally being too set will lead lead to disappointment. And yeah, mine was literally just this kind of random occurrence of people who were really helpful and, and very inspiring and kind of totally changed my own career trajectory. Interesting. Farah, what about you? I actually didn't want to start a company. That was never my intention. I was quite happy making mistakes in somebody else's firm, to be honest. Same. I really didn't want to. I pushed against it for ages. Um, I mean, I come from a family of entrepreneurs and, you know, they're always like, what's your idea? What you can do next? And I was like, really not interested in setting something up. I was really happy with my job. Because you previously worked uh, in finance, didn't you? Yeah. So I was in the investment banking industry. Um, Same. Oh, twinsies. So we... both escaping. (laughs) But I mean, I bumped into my boss buying condoms and that's how the whole idea started. So I was on my lunch break, went to Boots a couple of doors down, picked up a pack and my boss was behind me with his Boots meal deal. His, male boss. (laughs) Yeah, male male boss. boss. (laughs) Did he say anything? No, he didn't. But I'm sure he was thinking, who the hell is she getting hanky-panky with (laughs) at lunchtime in the office? And I was absolutely mortified. And I I wasn't having hanky-panky at lunchtime, by the way. Um, And I was explaining this to Sarah, my co-founder, who is a gynecology doctor, and she was working in sexual health clinics at the time. And I was like, oh, my God, I was so embarrassed. But what was embarrassment turned to anger? Mm. And I was like, why should I be feeling embarrassed or ashamed to take control of my sexual mm. health at that time? It was crazy. I always feel like even just walking down the aisle with all the, like, lube the dreaded aisle. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. can I look? What is this? Well, I'm fine. <laughs> but I'm in boots and there are, like, people around and this is sex. <laughs> But then I'm like, yeah. woo, we're lingerie to a thing. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah, and, it, it, and you're right. When you go down that aisle, it is genuinely garishly packaged, promoting a man's conquest. That's called Trojan, a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, terrible ingredients. There's nothing really designed with women in mind. Like, some condoms have anaesthetics in them that make a man last longer, but are super irritating for a woman's pH balance down there. So Which is just horrifying. Yeah. And there's no other condom brand in Europe that's been set up by women, is that right? Um, designed with women designed in mind, women. yeah. Wow. Completely straight. Um, and so that's kind of a bit about the um, origination of the idea for Hanks. Um, Amy, what about you? Where did the I- initial idea of Moody come from? Because I know you had quite a experience to get you there. Well, similarly, I, I'd started a business in my 20s and that was enough for me. I was 100% sure that I never wanted to do anything ever again because I the agency happened by accident. It was literally one of these chance happenings. I walked into a room. There was somebody that was 
much richer than me. Um, and we were talking about the fact that marketing was broken and he decided to invest. And it was a very kind of random, well, I've got nothing to lose kind of moment. Fast forward then six years later and we'd proven and built a business with 10 million in revenue. It was hugely financially successful and I was probably the most miserable human being you'd ever met. On the outside, there was a very shiny exterior of having it all. You know, I had a kind of boyfriend that looked about right. I had like a house. I had a dog. Literally, you couldn't even write this shit so uh, and I was like why doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right and my periods have just totally stopped um my my lovely boyfriend at the time said I think you might be barren uh that was his actual (laughs) so So I broke up with him Um, because that's not what you say um so you know I I started to realize that there was this kind of this massive issue in my life and and I couldn't work out why and I was going to all the doctors and all the nutritionists and all the kind of experts and everyone was kind of saying to me infertility actually it was a kind of really common thing and it wasn't until I met someone and they said no 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 it's stress related it's just I was traveling a lot I was all over the world and I was like what you can literally I can do all this stuff I can build this business but I had no idea that cortisol and stress and my emotional well-being would have such a profound impact on my body and then when looking at it I was like okay well there's all this technology and all these things that exist in the world that help you know, I can get an Uber in three minutes and order any food on the planet, but actually understanding my emotional and physical well-being from a pattern recognition perspective wasn't something that existed. You know, there was fertility tracking, so the utility of your period as a kind of am I on or off or am I how to get pregnant or how to not get pregnant. Um, I wouldn't advise using it exclusively just as a... Maybe you'd use Hanks. Um, In combination, there are... um, Yeah, but the reality is that it was a very functional way of looking at your cycle. But menstruation that I learned and I wasn't exclusive in this right every woman I spoke to probably more over the age of 30 had a story and I was like this is bananas so gradually that's such a British (laughs) British isn't it it is I have to be really careful when talking to Americans because I use so many metaphors (laughs) British metaphors Um, they're like what yeah raining cats and dogs outside I mean (laughs) sorry oh my god (laughs) oh that's a whole podcast Um, so anyway fast forward to then um being in in the agency and I was actually going to tell my board that I was ready to leave because I needed to get out because you know all the money in the world wouldn't have made me happy or well and my period came back um and I I literally cannot describe to you the eureka moment like it was unbelievable and when I then went to my board and told them I'm leaving because I'm gonna do something else and I really feel as though I need to focus in on you know hormones and and this kind of reality they thought I'd lost my mind they actually thought I'd gone mental so they were like oh just don't sue us and go away (laughs) um so it was kind of a really interesting reality because I think they they were really gracious and they were brilliant and they really helped me they were a fantastic you know group of people um but going on at that point which was in 2016 to start moody was simply a calling physically and mentally Mm. and therefore it was the sequence of then events of people that I met with after that um including Lola the nutritionist and Mm. doctors and other people who helped you know craft that idea into something that could
could be tangible, including, you know, coders. So, I mean, that's a very long-winded story, but it is, it is ultimately, that's what I guess we were talking about with the sequence of kind of random sliding doors moments. Some of them are very physical, but it is ultimately then about the people that come into your life at the right moment to make it a reality. Because it is hard. Yeah. It's just so critical. It is, it? yeah. And um, Billy, what about you? What was the kind of originated the idea for Furley? I think what's interesting is listening to both of you guys is that it's, there's a personal story there, there's a personal connection to the problem, and I think that's really quite an important thing when we think about businesses is what connects you to this issue? Why do, does it resonate with you? Why do you care about it? Um, because starting a business is really hard work, and it takes a lot of energy. And in those really shitty moments where you're like this is the worst decision I've ever made in my life. You come back to that personal connection and you say, oh, okay, this is why I'm doing it. This is why it matters. And if this thing doesn't exist in the world, that's a disservice to the world. And it's having that kind of resonation. Resonation? Is that a word? Having that yeah, res- it's connection. Yes. <laughs> it's a new word. I've coined it. Um, and so for us, uh, so for me and my co-founder, Anna, we uh, both started a business program called Zinc. It was a six-month incubator where they brought 50 people together to solve a mission. And the mission was to build businesses that would um, transform the mental and emotional health of women and girls in the developed world. And Anna and I didn't know each other. Um, Our lives had never crossed paths. But for both of us, the mission really resonated. And it was an opportunity that slid past us at the right time that made it accessible for us to go on to this program. And it was an incredible experience. The first two weeks were all about mental and emotional health and we had such an array of experts come and speak to us and they told us all about the different pillars of of a woman's well-being and all the things that can topple us off of that and all the things that are being done to support a woman and for Anna and I we came away from it and we sat down and we had lunch and we were reflecting on the two weeks and we were like two angry fucking feminists sitting there being like how has sex been left out of the conversation again oh, like, wow. this is ridiculous this is such a huge pillar of our well-being we talk about our physical well-being and our mental well-being and sex has such a layer of taboo and shame over it um, that it, it prevents us from really living healthy confident and pleasurable lives and that really angered us and I think for Anna and I we had very personal connections to the problem so Anna lost her virginity through rape when she was 15. I was sexually assaulted in the workplace. And both of us understood firsthand the impact your sexuality can have on your well-being. Um, and even though none of us, neither of us have domain knowledge in the space, this is kind of to Amy's point in leaning into the people around you that can um, scaffold you in the knowledge that you don't have because you can't have all the knowledge when you start a business. It's understanding the bits that are missing and who you need in order to help you on that journey. And so for us, it was, yes, we don't have the domain experience. We have the first-hand lived experience. And if we bolster ourselves with the right people who can help us shape this, we really feel like we can address a problem that's meaningful in the world. So you all had these very kind of deeply personal connections with the, the kind of business ideas you then came up with. How do you then go about testing your idea and proving your business plan was viable? Far you go first. Yeah. You're the only revenue uh, generator amongst us. <laughs> You're the only one that's proved your business model was viable. So before we decided to tell our families that we were going to quit our day jobs, and you know them thinking that we we're bloody cuckoo and asking us to come home, and London's done this to us, and we'll we'll save you. Um, we surveyed 2,000 women. 
and we thought, okay, before we actually go into this, is it a viable business? Is there an actual gap in the market? Or is it just Sarah and I feeling really passionate about equalism? Um, And the output was Hank's. Women wanted a product that they could rely on if they weren't on hormonal contraceptives. More and more women were coming off hormonal contraceptives because of the side effects, such as weight gain, mood swings, skin, etc. Some probably very well linked to your app. Yeah, all hormonal. Yeah, Um, but there was no condom option for women on the market. And the condoms that women would buy from our survey, they wanted it to be sustainable, free of any irritating chemicals. If they had to use a condom, they didn't want it to feel like a condom, so ours are ultra thin. Um, they hated the smell of condoms. Um, so ours Oh, my God, yes. Clean-scented, <laughs> yeah. Stink. I tried lambskin ones once. Oh, you poor thing. Ew. Oh, my Lord. They stink. <laughs> they stink. Cave man yeah. Who came up with that? <laughs> Sign me up for the vegan ones, I think. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that was kind of our proof concept. And then, obviously, we had people test the product as well, and we gave it to friends and family. Um, and the packaging as well. People didn't want a condom that they were... You know, if it fell out of your handbag and it said, XL Trojan, good for man, and all this sort of BS, you wouldn't really want it in your bag and you wouldn't want to carry it around. Um so that was kind of our proof concept. And then obviously then launching, we did a soft launch online so you, and through like Coco de Mer and Wah Nails at the time. So, you know, boutiques that sort of aligned with our brand and vision. Mm. And that worked really well. When you really say it. you tested it with friends and family... No, it was an I didn't <laughs> <go in. laughs> I'd be slightly insensitive. That could be misconstrued. I can assure you I did, I did not personally. <laughs> did you sit down with your mum and dad and have like a, a frank conversation? Oh my God, my poor family. They, what was their initial reaction? Um, we need to get you back to York so that you can get sorted. You know, what has London done to let, you? Let's, let's send you to the mosque. And then it soon turned to, you'll never get an arranged marriage now. <laughs> and, then, and then my brothers, yeah, so quite, quite a hilarious yeah. response. It's interesting, though, because it is so much about looking at the data, right? So yeah. the, the thing that, and similarly, even though we're kind of pre-revenue as a business, to, to show that there was power and need for women to help understand their hormone cycles over and above just the utility of, of pregnancy or, or, or contraceptive, um, what we looked at was ultimately, A, how many women have this? So what is the data that is relevant? Obviously, 51% of the population, mm. quite big. But specifically drilling down into, well, we know the science exists because this research is so well researched because of the contraceptive so there is so much information about the emotional fluctuations of hormones throughout your month because of the research they had to do um but how do we give access to that information so knowing that you have the science knowing that you have the market opportunity but then being able to really think through how you deliver whether it be a product or a service or technology no matter what it is how you deliver it to people in a way that they can receive it because I think that one of the major things that sometimes people forget about is that you know when when you're actually receiving a a product or a service or whatever it is it has to be easy 
Yeah. Because the minute anything becomes complicated, people don't have time. Like, we're all really time poor. So I think that one of the major things in terms of the milestones is, yeah, the science, the research, the data, um, and then being able to look at, like, the best way to get, and who your audience is, obviously, and then the best way to get that information or whatever it is into their hands in a way which allows them to receive it and gain benefit from it. Um, Because if you can do that, then you find what they call product market fit <laughs> the holy grail <laughs> so yeah i mean and, and for my our journey you know we yeah as billy said you know we're, we're pre-revenue and we are pre kind of full product market fit we still have iterations that we need to do on the app to make sure that you know we're delivering a really seamless experience and that it's super easy for people to use or as as easy as possible and then ultimately the ability for us to not just provide kind of what is essentially the information but also the solutions so Again, there's like different milestones almost you go through your journey, but I would say unifying the ability to make it easy for people to consume. Yes. Moody is so, so easy to use. It's like the nicest sort of interface and user journey. It's. Well done. It's also designed... So <laughs> Holy this Grail is, achieved. It's coded by women, right? So what's super interesting about this new era of, like, more diversity is um, ultimately, you know, the experience of many of these products, even though they're designed for women, is that they're not created by women, which yeah. is, I think, yeah. the unifying reality on the panel, right, yeah. is that there is a bias to when you create a product and you create it in your mind's eye. And I always use the same metaphor, so apologies if people have heard me say this before, but when you write a female protagonist in a novel if you write it as a male author or as a female author you write her in a different way yeah um and that's the kind of main thing that's exciting because it means that everyone in this room has an opportunity to do something because there haven't been as many opportunities for women to create things for themselves Mm. so that's the kind of exciting bit right now i think Mm. yeah definitely I just want to circle back to kind of career transitions. Amy, you um, sort of told us about how how you came to found Moody Month. Um, But Billy and Farah, you've you've also both made some quite big sort of career transitions. How does does someone make that transition? I think there's that, it's that kind of looking over a cliff feeling, isn't it? And, And there is that safety of what you know and your company and your friends and things like that which can actually sort of hold you back how do you take the leap and and make the jump into something new yeah that's that's such a really um good question and you're totally right about the cliff edge and feeling very trapped in the world that you exist in Mm. i started my career in a startup and then went into a different startup and then got headhunted and came into a consultancy but I'd always been in sales, biz dev, account management, that kind of role and I had told myself this narrative that it really suited my personality and like that was the only thing I was sort of good for and um, that was where, where I was best suited. I just hadn't found the right company that fitted me um, and then, obviously, working at the um, in the corporate world, I mean, my first day in there, I was like, this is fucking terrible. I had to put on a dress. <laughs> I had to, like, look professional. I mean, I wear a gym kit to work every single day now, so it was like, very different to what I had sort of done previously, and I knew it didn't suit me. But I'm very determined, and I wanted to give it a try and, and really make the best of the situation. After the assault and then six months of really negative mental health, I kind of came to a point where I couldn't exist in this space anymore. So for me, you know, that's quite a drastic point you get to. Mm. But I know that for a lot of people, we get to this point, maybe not quite as severe as mine. You don't get that kick in the butt where you're like, this is kind of life-dependent, life you, life you have to move on. Yeah. But um, 
you still feel incredibly stuck. And I felt so stuck. I was like, I hate everything about this. I hate my role. I hate my colleagues. I hate working with middle-aged men. I, I just had no enjoyment from anything I was doing. So even the thought of going somewhere else and doing what I was doing was just like, oh, this is not for me at all. And I came across a program called Escape the City. And they run a three-month career change program And it was the best thing I have ever done for myself because I was in a space where I could not see the wood for the trees and I had absolutely no idea of how to take the next step. Um, and so I really needed a support system in order to do that and a structure for doing that. And there's some really amazing courses and kind of like frameworks that you can follow online. Um, but for me, actually being in a community of people transitioning their careers was so helpful. And I learned some incredible things in that course the first part is really introspective and the second part you kind of take action so the first part is about defining your values and really digging into what you find joy from and so for me if the first thing I needed to do was what do I actually care for and what do I actually stand for and so defining my values was such a powerful thing that I could do and they made us whittle it down to three and we had a list of 50 and we had to get them down to three and it was oh like gosh. horrible but actually now they're kind of my guiding pillars on how I sort of what make every three? decision yeah what are adventure they? energy and love yeah adventure energy and love adventure energy that. and love yeah broad. so if something doesn't bring me adventure energy or love then yeah. and, you, and you need to be fairly broad but yeah. it does it does really help me and can so you that, tell us about Cuthbert the crab yeah please <laughs> enlighten yeah. everyone who doesn't know about Cuthbert the Crab. Absolutely. So that was like the first piece of work that you had to do. And then the second piece of work was um, we all have a self-saboteur. So a, a saboteur is someone that will tell you all of the negative things in your head and they will stop you from achieving the things that you want to achieve. Mm. And it was interesting because we were having a conversation earlier about fear, but your saboteur kind of gives you that fear. And in Escape the City, they had us name this saboteur and they then made us make it out of clay and then they made us bake it in the oven and now he lives on my mantelpiece at home and so I can stare at him in the eye but actually and I called him Cuthbert the crab I made a crab <laughs> I don't know why my, my saboteur is a crab but um, I, it's, it's like such a powerful tool for me now because I can literally compartmentalize it when I'm mm. starting to get into that negative cycle where I'm saying that challenge is too big or that meeting is too scary or that opportunity is so out of reach. I can say, hey, Cuthbert, fuck you. <laughs> and it's so good for me. So, yeah, getting your values down and then seeing if what you're doing is aligning with that. Then naming your saboteur is super, super powerful. And then being curious And not having any expectation, but just being curious and starting to take micro steps mm. towards those curiosities. So one thing that I loved um, and I grew up doing was dancing. And I just hadn't done that since I was living in London for five years. I don't want to be a dancer. I definitely don't think I'm going to be Beyonce. I mean, I do think I'm going to be Beyonce. <laughs> Me too. <I> yeah. <laughs> just waiting for just my call. Waiting. <laughs> um, but it was, like, it was just something that was outside of my comfort zone and I knew it brought me joy. And so I took up twerking. I went to... I got the knee pads and everything. And I looked... <laughs> knee pads? Oh, yeah. That's oh, wow. I was almost considering, like, showing you a bit there. But, uh, <laughs> but it was, like, these micro things. And one of them was poop. So one of them was this IBS and, like, this feeling of um, uh, anxiety around my gut and my gut health. 
And so I started following that as a curiosity and I read some amazing books. And then I was like, okay, this is now leading me to be a health coach. And then the health coaching led me to leave my job. And then that led me to starting my business. Mm. So from twerking to... To, to yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's allowing yourself to pursue those curiosities exactly. yeah. without any expectation. Which, mm. like, corporate culture and just because kind of like the path that's like yeah mapped out for us yeah. ends up restricting that. If you go into a big company, it, yeah, yeah it can squash it out yeah, of you. Definitely. Yeah. So you just think it's about just kind of fitting into this preconceived mm, yeah. narrative of what success and achievement yeah. looks like, but it's all by someone else's book. Yeah. And also by bringing joy back into your life, you get so much energy again. And then mm. suddenly doing a side hustle or mm. doing a course online to help you move away from the world that you're in mm. seems possible when you are stuck you have no energy yeah and then you know even doing a part-time thing online is like i can't i just need to watch netflix and yeah, like that's self-care exactly. for you in that moment mm. but identifying the things that really bring you joy will give you the extra energy to take the next steps that you need to take but mm. i think just one thing you said that i think is so important because i think it's taking those small steps because i think sometimes and i definitely experienced my own career you can feel so stuck in a rut and just or the, the kind of the size of the problem just feels so overwhelming and you're like i just don't know how to move on from here because yeah. i just can't kind of I can't yeah, see the way see forward the way the and it's just taking one step forward just one foot in front of the other and eventually you'll get someone because at least you're moving forward definitely. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like, the most important thing yeah. career development Farah what about you and kind of transitioning from one extreme of the corporate world to another yeah, to I mean, condoms to <laughs> the condom world um, very different but I think it was super helpful having Sarah as my co-founder so Sarah and I actually grew up together went to school together can't keep away from each other went to uni together and here we are back again but having having that idea and bouncing that idea with someone else was super helpful and whenever I felt any doubts or any niggles talking that out definitely helped and I think for for us there was a tipping point so we we did as much as we could to like it was a calculated risk you know mm, we didn't yeah. just quit our day jobs and start like we had to figure out is there a market and data so important to that like you've got to back that up um, so you had about six months, didn't you, of working at your previous job before? So doing both at the same time? Um, so I launched, we launched towards the end of 2017. Um, but I think the, the key thing for me was having Sarah to sort of bounce the ideas off, mm. having really good people around you that you can Definitely. be super honest with and, and talk to as many people as you can mm. about the idea. Yeah. And I think the one thing I've noticed, and certainly I was like this initially, and... Uh, I've seen friends is that people don't talk about it until they feel like they've got something concrete. So you yeah. have an idea, but people feel very afraid to talk and about often that idea it's those until conversations that develop the ideas. And yeah. suddenly you come out of that conversation and you exactly. have something solid. And, and you might have gone in with something yeah. that you're a bit like, oh, I don't really and you know might about pivot this. and you might yeah. change the idea. So if you have an idea, go for it and yeah. actually start talking to people about it. And I think the other thing is for the people around you that are a bit hesitant, fuck them. Like, literally, yeah, yeah. they're too Always. scared to leave their jobs yeah. and, and do something that's exciting. And also, figure out where you are in your life. For Sarah and I, you know, we don't have kids. It's not like we, we have dependents. Mm. We're young, you know. It, it's, a, it's a great story. You know, if we fail, yeah. great. We've learned yeah, a few things. Yeah, exactly. It's better to you move do on. that and fail. So, yeah. yeah, surround yourself with good people, I'd say. Yeah. I'm really interested in um, these... You, um, Billy, have said that you started Furley after meeting Anna on Zinc, which yeah. is a sort of like accelerating um, incubator program. Have either of you, Farah and Amy, ever encountered those? I'm just really interested in that kind of, um, again, it's that surrounding yourself with this community, but also maybe equip 
equipping yourself with like the tools to sort of know how to start a business or why to start a business that kind of thing yeah I think um going to events like these are a perfect opportunity to learn more learn from people around (laughs) you so definitely come into more of these events um I I think for us um we sorry we works but we hang out at Huckletree um and they're a really lovely community and they have a an incubation program called the alpha program um and it's where they help startups so I think they have like five per cohort and we joined the alpha program and it was an amazing opportunity for us to meet other people in areas of expertise so whether that's branding investment raising etc and it's a three-month intensive course and I think that was really pivotal for us and I think also I've been to Escape City and I've been to one of the talks um and they were great and it was when I was already at Hanks and the funny thing is I saw about five people from the bank that I worked at that were there and I do think there's a lot of um great sessions they hold as well um so I think yeah look at accelerators incubation programs just be a sponge just learn as much as you can Mm. from as many people around you yeah Yeah. and come to all the her hustle events yeah soak it all up I I was gonna agree actually in terms of like my my own experience is that there really isn't enough you can ever really learn from other people and I think that there's a real misconception that people that found businesses have some kind of magical power or like knowledge they're really good at asking questions I find so people and asking for help and asking yeah. for help yeah. yeah it's it's this kind of reality that being like vulnerable but also being able to understand and identify and using your emotional intelligence to know the right people for you because there really isn't one path and that can be quite frustrating and quite scary but equally it just means that whatever opportunity that comes into your remit if you feel literally via your gut um, that it's the right follow thing the it's gonna, yeah follow the poo um, <laughs> it's gonna help you get to your next stage because much to what Billy was saying about joy like the one of the great things about creating and curating your own path and your own career without following a trajectory that someone else has told you is you're accountable to the joy and you yeah there's going to be hard bits and it's going to be tough but you're always kind of in a position where you know you've made your own choices and even if that isn't starting a business because I do think that is something to consider in a much bigger way before you embark on it because there are so many other things to think about Mm. from a personal financial risk perspective to you know what that means for your career in the future but yeah like the ability for you to just surround yourself with knowledge is so great um, Emma Gannon's book as well um, Control the, Delete, yeah, yeah, yeah and the so Multi Hyphen Method uh, yeah. is also Multi-hyphen, very good yeah really good for freelance tips as well yeah I think um, just to echo that as well I think that asking asking questions is really really important and knowing who to ask but then also taking that information back and evaluating whether that is the right information mm. because people are actually very generous in giving advice but they have their worldview in mind when they're giving that and sometimes I was I um, failed to this a lot is that you take it in you're like oh my goodness they're so much more experienced than me what they say is gospel therefore I must do that Mm -hmm. and then you put it into your world and into your value system and you're like actually this doesn't fit why doesn't it fit it must be my fault because this is someone that's very senior and very skilled and I've really had to learn over the last year to take that information look at it through the lens of my world and also trust myself as well because I think that 
Cuthbert and your equivalent of Cuthbert can always come up and tell you that you're not good enough and you're not, you're, you shouldn't trust yourself if someone smarter and yeah. smarter, more yeah. senior has given you that information. But you, only you know your experiences. Mm. So looking in through the world through your lens is super important when you're yeah. getting advice. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And actually get as much advice you can and opinions but it comes down to what you really view and we keep talking about gut and my girls take the mick out of me because I always say go with your gut it's got your best interests at heart my mum always says that but it actually does and that's what it comes down to you know you can take advice and you can listen to people but ultimately you you do know best and you have to go with your gut sometimes so and if you fail then you know that you've done the decision and you've got the learnings and you can't also pass it off on someone else so so and so told me and it didn't work therefore it's their fault not my fault you go okay I interpreted it in this way and it didn't work and that's such a great learning and that's my growth mindset and now I can do it this way Mm. next time yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I think accountability is one of the most important guiding principles because you're right, like it's so easy. And I'm a victim of this recently when I've been fundraising and I've been listening to all these kind of very wealthy people telling me all this information. And some of these people have scaled billion dollar companies and I'm like going, okay, I must just change everything. And then having a moment to suddenly go, well, yeah, but you're a man and you're never going to fully understand this. But I literally have like laid on floors questioning like what is going on in my own instincts because I feel so because there's so much information that you're thrown at and yeah yeah, you you being the kind of accountable person to sift through is like oh the most inspiring thing when you come to that and you just mentioned fundraising so I think it's now time to talk about money so stats are pretty depressing when it comes to investment in women-led startups so just for some context in the UK less than 1% of venture capital funds go to startups run entirely by women um, something that's hope is changing but a depressing stat nonetheless you're all obviously female founders um, raising money for specifically female focused products how difficult has that experience been can you tell us a bit about it before I don't start pretty fucking difficult (laughs) so much pain and actually it's funny what you just mentioned because we pitched a very prominent investor in the space who I won't mention who pretty much said um you're gonna fail without me and you need me to run your business what he sounds like a Cuthbert yeah and then then he was like I hope you don't raise the amount you've gone for so that you come back you come crawling back to us and we give you the money at a lower valuation. Oh, my and I God. Thought, wow. We're going into a relationship with this person. And, it, and that's just one example. Gosh. And, and, it, and it's, it happens. That being said, I'm not saying that means you just have to go to female investors because I'm very much an equalist. Like, two older brothers, you know, I, I take value in that. And some of our invest, the majority of our investors are actually men, but they believe in the vision, the brand. They've either got a daughter or a sister and they, un- they understand that. But it, it has been incredibly hard and especially because condoms are still taboo, mm. you mm. know. Uh, and so, Sex is generally uh, taboo. Yeah, yeah sex is still taboo. It. So people are like, oh. no one's having sex <laughs> ever. Exactly. <laughs> and so people feel a bit, they think it's quite risky to park their capital in the space. I'm sure you've seen it as well. Um, so it's been challenging, but it's about getting to the right investors. Now, we've raised investment, but mainly through angels. And that's mm. been the best fit for us because we've ended up finding some really great people who believe in us and the vision. And that's more important than just taking money from any Tom, Dick, Harry. 
I mean, I, I would echo this and also my perspective is slightly warped talking of your own world because I am actually in a fundraise right now. So, I, but I, yeah, so it's but I, I do think it's interesting because I think it's very easy to lean into the negative and the pain and the stress and all the things which do come with any fundraise, male, female, anything. The reality I think that you do have to listen to is, again, the data. So the reality is that because the t- statistics are so rubbish Mm. there is a genuine reality to how much harder it's going to be so the biggest lesson that I've had is not that it's not possible and not that it's not we're not able to change those statistics it just takes longer because if you're up against the data that says this is the percentage of VC capital that goes to female-led female-founded and female-orientated companies don't do what I did and said, yeah, but everyone needs it. (laughs) So they'll surely get involved Um, because it's not that they don't understand. It's just simply that venture especially is an industry, even though it's perceived as being very kind of um, forward thinking and developing kind of startups, it's a risk aversion business, it's a capital business. So, I mean, similarly, I mean, we've raised two million from angels which has been you know the best way for us to do it to grow the company to stabilize the company um raising the next round is about being more agile so i did set myself this very kind of structured way of well this is how other people have done it and therefore this is how i should do it but actually what i've learned is that being able to say no to people is very powerful because when you do realize that they're the wrong people for you you're getting into a marriage with them Mm. and whether you really like marriage (laughs) absolutely and i will let billy finish because she has raised vc money specifically so it's a kind of and and can talk to the marriage relationship but it's it is that it is that moment where you realize that this person is going to be in your business because if you're raising at whatever level the idea is that you're mm. raising towards a 10-year goal or a 10-year plan, mm. which means that you're with that person for 10 years. And some of the experiences that I've had similarly have been, you know, really very aggressive, very kind of dominating and at times quite, um, I mean, made me feel quite afraid, like mm. genuinely. And I realized that I had to be smarter about qualifying the people before I put myself in a room with them. So it's learning to say no. It's yeah. learning it to say no. like such a risk because it's money you need and yeah. want, but actually it's more and than money. the power dynamics yeah. are scary. You know, there's a, there is a reality to what you wear and yeah. that is true. Like I have really? had people literally talk to my chest the whole meeting. Oh my God. And it's so frustrating because oh, I... So these people. Yeah, yeah and you, you can't... But, but it's also on me to be able mm. to then use that information, not let it kind of completely override my truth and knowledge and vision and mission and what we're doing and turn it into how I use that to train my gut because Mm. now I can see who I qualify who I will happily take a meeting with who I just think is going to waste my time Um, but it takes time to learn that so again it's this thing of you look at the data don't be afraid of the data but just know that it's going to take you twice as long if not three times as long yeah but there is good examples I know I feel really I feel really guilty about our fundraising journey, which is so ridiculous because I'm also super proud of it. But we've had, um, ugh, touch wood, like a really easy fundraising journey in comparison to this. And I think that it provides a nice balance for this. But um, And I know that, that, that like, these journeys, absolutely, they're horrendous. They can be absolutely horrendous and draining. Um, and I think the points that you've sort of made are really, really valuable. And I think that's maybe 
one of the reasons why our fundraising journey was has been easier. We really qualified who we spoke to. Um, we decided what, again, we were very value-led, so we really kind of identified who aligned with our values, who was already walking the talk. <laughs> who was already walking the talk? Um, yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Walking the walk, walking the walk, walking the talk. We're coining multiple phrases tonight, it's fine. We were just chatting about dyslexia earlier, I swear. <laughs> Although I'm really fucking hungry. I'm not sure <laughs> both of those things are true. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, like, really qualified who we, who we spoke to beforehand. Um, and sometimes we got that wrong and you didn't know that until you were in the meeting. But we made a decision quite quickly to kind of close those meetings down. Um, and for us, it was not... We weren't going to do this business at any cost. So it was... We really wanted to have the right people in this marriage that would believe in the vision, stand by us, and support us. And most of our investors are women. That's sort of just by chance. Um, well, not by chance. We picked every single one of them out um but uh it, they were given the freedom to make those decisions which is really rare in venture capital mm. but i think the other thing is when we think about fundraising it's being really specific around what money you actually need for your business and vc is sort of pegged at this like pinnacle of funding venture capital but you really most businesses do not need that money and they do not need that pressure and when you enter into that relationship it's not just fundraising you then have the um, not stress, but you have the expectation yeah, of delivery. The pressure. And that, yeah, the fundraising piece was almost now looking back at it like the easy piece. It's now living up to that. Mm. And what taking that money means for our business and the direction that we have to go and the growth rate that we have to grow at and um, making really difficult decisions around, around our personal life because we have to prioritize the business because we've chosen that route so mm. I think it's being really careful about where you want to take money from what you think you really need the money for how you can bootstrap it for longer if that's possible and maybe it isn't um, and for us it wasn't financially so kind of went down that trajectory really early but I think the key things as well that I learned with fundraising you are a salesperson and this is where my background came in really handy yeah. you whether you like sales or not you are selling yourself and you are selling your business and you are selling your vision. So if you want to raise money, get really good at selling, mm. like really good. And then you have to pitch. So you have to be comfortable selling that and looking really confident because people invest in confidence. And yes, they invest in data. And yes, they invest in a solid business model. But if you don't get a chance to tell them those things because they've written you off, because you come in with your eyes down and, and scrunching paper and you can't hold eye contact with them and you're stuttering over your words and you're sweating profusely, which I've definitely done, <laughs> you have to be able to stand up and present yourself. And I know some people literally recoil at the idea of that. And, and I hear that. I feel that. But you have to tell your story and you have to be able to share it with them and for them to buy into it. So really working on how you do that is, is such an important piece of it. And I think to Amy's point, like, why do you want to start this business? Do you, are you sure you want to do it? Because you might be a really skilled person at craft, but then if you want to raise the money, you're not going to actually spend any time working on your craft. Yeah. You're going to spend all the money, time doing the business. And that's a very different journey. Mm. And yeah. 
think considering that is important. And, and to that point about there are so many different ways to raise money to do a business as well. And, and actually... Can you just, in case anyone is, like, doesn't know, can you just break down the difference between yeah. VC and angels? I think that's something that we totally. hear. Totally. Because like, this, is, this is what I've also realised. There's like this kind of language yes, that you start totally. to learn, which is suddenly this kind of vernacular. And when you're, you're in this world, it suddenly becomes second nature. But it is literally a language. Yeah. Yeah. Crack the code first. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the, yeah. So I, I would say there's kind of how much money you need to take an idea into a prototype or into something to prove that it can be realized is the first kind of area. And I think that avoiding anything other than people that believe in your mission and vision and angels are individuals who have capital. And there is a really positive thing in the UK, which is two tax breaks, hope they stay. Um, the first one is SEIS, which is essentially individuals who have lots of money. Um, they, I know, right? <laughs> I learned about tax and I get so excited about tax. <laughs> um, but the SEIS is they get 70% back from HMRC on their investment. So there wow, are people so out good. there. Yeah. So there are individuals, especially in this country, actively looking for investment opportunities so there is a cap on how much within your business you can take and how much they can invest so there's 150,000 pounds you as a business can raise under SCIS and that they can invest that is amazing and it's it's startup capital capital that's fairly risk averse to someone that has that kind of level of money and so if you are wanting to prototype an idea or you do have kind of a way of thinking about it that's a really good entry level and I know tax doesn't sound very sexy but then when you start to realize what it can do for you it's yeah, so cool yeah. um, possibilities are offered. yeah and and individuals to like Billy's point as well and we were talking about before in terms of um, how and what they give you is the ability to be more flexible because VC money isn't flexible. And I think that was one of our learnings was we That's did so have an earlier stage opportunity with VC, which we decided not to go down because the terms of the actual money were so prohibitive. So the longer that for us, which was our journey, we could stay with individuals and using the tax breaks in the UK, the better. So the next band up for us was EIS, which is even over and above the 150, you can then continue to raise money with tax breaks, which gets them 30% back. So it's there, there are ways of doing it in that way, but also grants. They're more complicated and, and obviously fingers crossed touch wood things don't get totally pulled but there is actually some really innovative kind of ways to raise mm. capital early um and a reason to be excited by hmrc oh my honestly I, <laughs> I realized I, I don't want to get too excited about tax but it is it's really exciting and yeah. one of the things which um, i get really excited about for the future is what we're trying to do and what i've been going to meet with HMRC about is trying to talk about a, a band which is specifically for female entrepreneurs. Oh, that's so, amazing. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, mm. I mean, fingers crossed. Yeah. It might take forever because working with HMRC is not oh, the one. No. <laughs> um, My experience, they never pick up the phone. Oh. So. <laughs> They're quite busy at the moment, but whatever. So, yeah, so, but, like, hopefully there's going to be more and more initiatives that, you know, people can start to realise where the kind of growth hacks are because the data is rubbish. Like, 1% of, of capital going to female is, just, is outrageous. Yeah, and the other statistics come from the Rose Report. So, um, Alison Rose wrote a report based 
basically about all the data, which is not just showing where the problems are, but showing that if more capital goes to female-led businesses, we will be able to improve the gross overall capital of the country by almost eight to ten percent like yeah. if which not is more, huge which is massive yeah. so there's like an active want for this to happen we just have to kind of prove out the commercial cases yeah and i think to add to amy's point as well um the best way to sort of learn this language and feel prepared when you're having those conversations mm. and like you know the options is to start investing your own capital like oh, there's no such better way of doing it yeah I-, I made an investment yesterday my first one 150 pounds so it's like a pretty insignificant amount but it just gets you to understand what the process is what Mm. the language out there is and also to make your money work for you and to kind of yeah, and like you said, it doesn't ownership. have to be a huge amount. I think, again, no, it's exactly. that thing of investing and investors can seem like this, you know, quite rightly sort of scary, far away thing yeah. that only yeah. a certain few people who have the right yeah. education and the right conne- yeah. connections yeah. can get into. And actually, that's obviously not the case. And honestly, like, I had no idea about any of this stuff. Mm. And you literally throw yourself in fearlessly. You say some stupid things at the beginning and then you listen and you suddenly realise that there's patterns to what people are saying, the kind of words they're using and it gives you this like confidence because then you're in the language and I do think just being around it you suddenly start to absorb but it does take time to learn and no one unless you've done a very detailed MBA um really knows yeah and and generally when you're meeting a lot of male investors they like to talk so you can just listen and be like mmm CIS mmm yeah yeah Yeah. whilst writing it down and being like what the fuck is that Googling afterwards you have to give much away so it does that's what got me through it's a great learning opportunity speaking of like sort of just staying on the topic of of money um Farah, we've obviously spoken about how you're monetizing your product. You have an actual product, which you can buy. Um, but Billy and Amy, your, you know, all of your work is, is mission-based as opposed to sort of purely, purely revenue-based. Um, but obviously money is important, and I'm sure your investors are uh, thinking that as well. How do you monetize a product like yours, which is, which is sort of, you know, you're very careful about data protection, never selling anyone's data. I feel like that must be something which, I mean, personally, I I feel like when I first heard about Moody and even Furley, I thought, oh, you must have to pay for it. Mm. I think there's that kind of, that assumption that that if it's an app or something, you know, it's probably whatever it is in the i in the iTunes store. What how how do you kind of convince people on how to monetize your product? Yeah, so ours will be a subscription. You will have to pay for it. Um, it's worth it. right now it's free so if you want to get in there early and start figuring it out get in there soon um but you will have to pay for it and i think that we have come into what was what's been really interesting for anna and i is we feel that the consumer today thinks that they should get everything for free yeah and we've we've come to that behavior because companies sell data instead. So we're able to offer these free services and products because in the background, we're selling data and that's yeah. how we make money. It's at a higher cost it's as well. It's at a higher cost, exactly. Than like 4 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Problem and destroying the media. Yeah. yeah. But that, that has created a perception issue where people then mm. devalue the, the work that goes into creating these businesses that mm, have totally. the consumer at their heart in mind. And I think that some of the things Amy and I have been chatting about is like how do we readdress that and refocus that and um, provide and demonstrate value before they have to get into the product to show that we do have their interests at heart and that we are 
a different kind of business to the businesses that have existed today. And that comes with a price tag and that price tag isn't an unreasonable one for the value that's being put out there. Mm. But one of the hardest things in the UK is that we don't pay for healthcare. So we have such an amazing healthcare system. So our attitude to paying for healthcare is really different. Mm. In the US, that's such a normal behavior. Mm. And it's a shame, but one of our most important markets is going to be the US because yeah. they understand um, that value exchange much better than the U- than the UK consumer. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Which is such a shame because I guess it's like, Amy, your experiences of sort of having your, you know, like you said, your period stopped and that kind of thing. It sounds like that wasn't something that the NHS was going to solve for you. You know, it was something which you probably had to pay quite a lot of money to get to the bottom to and even then couldn't quite figure it out. It's the sort of gaps in healthcare, right? It's like the female focused healthcare it's not there I mean you took the words out of my mouth (laughs) so well articulated because I think that the reality is from our business is that there is a default to a pharmaceutical end Mm. so if you can't solve it with a pill like anxiety and stress related to your cycle it's not solvable with a pill it's a lifestyle change thing um there is obviously reasons technology serves really well into that because it's about pattern recognition before you provide a solution. I think the thing for us that's really important before we do look at our kind of uh, monetization and and the value that we're giving to our customer to what I said earlier in terms of making sure that what we're delivering to the audience is worth paying for as well. You know, I truly believe that this science of your cycle should always be free. There should always be an understanding and an ability for every woman to know their body. body. But there are ways in which we can help you elevate over and above just the baselines of the knowledge. And those solutions need to be tested so they're not going to be pharmaceutical and um, they are going to be well-being orientated they are going to be about understanding the kind of patterns but you know in a simple way if we are able to help you know a certain percentage of our audience feel less fatigue less anxiety you know at points in their month where it's not hormonal it's coming from other areas because of better mm-hmm. routines and rituals then we need to test that first and then we need to be able to provide rationale as to how it works And I think that's a default with technology as well to the point of selling data. One of the biggest frustrations I have with tech is this, we're going to make as much money as quickly as possible without really looking at the impact. Fake news, you know, Mm -hmm. massive bubble that they didn't see coming. blowing up in our faces now. Because of data, you know, the reality was that everyone went, the more people we have, Mm. the more ability we have to sell the value of Mm. community. And that is a very dangerous and short-term perspective because we need to be thinking about technology not as a vehicle to make lots of money as quickly as possible but as a vehicle to help people feel better in themselves how do we use it to be more time efficient how do we have a better relationship with it and also not build stuff that then allows people to prey on our vulnerability so true because that's what's also quite Mm -hmm. dangerous which we talk about a lot which is why you know you know it's important for you know for technologies in the space to communicate with each other to make sure that if we're doing stuff for women and by women, we do it different. Differently, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think I'm, we have... Oh, sorry. I'm, just saying, I'm conscious that we want to have time for uh, Q&A, so I'm sure yeah. people are bursting some questions. So just to wrap up very quickly, because you've just given so much brilliant advice, each one of you, one book that you would recommend everyone here to read if they're thinking about starting a company, maybe transitioning career, just one inspiring book. Um... There's a, there's a really amazing book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Um, it's a 
really insightful tale of what it really takes to start a business um, with lots of stories and really clear examples and it's very actionable. I read that on holiday and I loved it. That was one All right. Perfect. Amy? This is my Bible and it's called Grit and it's by a positive psychologist <laughs> called Angela Duckworth. And whenever I feel sad or I feel unmotivated, I read it because ultimately... I find the trick in life is passion and perseverance and she talks very beautifully about it and it is literally the book I think has helped me through life. Great. Going on the Amazon list tonight. Farrell, what about you? Um, the one that I recently read was How to Fail. Mm. Yeah, uh, so good. great. Yeah. Um, podcast great as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then in general, I I'm, I'm prefer to listen to podcasts than books actually. So yes. Love NPR, a good podcast. How I mm. This is a very oh, good one because so um, you just learn about all the other companies. So. Amazing. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. That was so interesting and inspiring. And I just want to go and write loads of notes about ways I can improve myself going forward. I'm very conscious of time, so I'm sure yeah. everyone wants another drink and Millie's ready and raring to go at the DJ set. So I'm going to say thank you so, so much to our fantastic yes, panel of speakers. So I know I've learned a lot, so huge round of applause. And thank you to Emma and Louise and Jess for putting on such an amazing yeah, event. It's so you. cool to see such a diverse group of women in a room. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. So go and have another drink. Enjoy yes. the music. And thank you so thank much for coming. So much. Thank you. so much for listening to the how i hustle podcast with me emma louise please don't forget to subscribe and listen to all our future episodes and please if you have time leave us a review as it'll help others find the podcast too bye